Fair Care Podcast. Uh, I'm Cindy Taylor, one of the founders here at Fair Care. We welcome you back to the second week of our little series that we are working on, which is a series about marriage. Uh, we have four topics that we are discussing with marriage, and this week we're discussing the, the purpose of marriage. Last week we were talking about the origin of marriage, and that origin comes from the that marriage comes from God, and He was the founder. And he instituted marriage even before he instituted businesses and churches and everything because it is a, a foundational uh, institution for society. This week, we want to talk about some of the common misunderstandings and about the purpose of marriage. In our uh, counseling with people and whatnot, we have found and heard that many people have uh, pretty much a misunderstanding of what the purpose of marriage is, even amongst Christians, especially amongst Christians, honestly, because they haven't, you know, like gotten into the Bible and read about why does God want us to be married? Uh, many people think that it is you know, for procreation, okay? We're supposed to have godly children. Well, there are verses that say, you know, be fruitful and multiply, or that say, you know, raise godly offspring. Still, still others believe that it's the moral sanction for sex. Um, in other words, that the purpose of marriage is so that we can have sex in a way that's acceptable to God. Both of these purposes are actually too narrow. Sex does not start a marriage, nor does it end a marriage, as we discussed last week. That is to say, people can have sex outside of marriage, and it does not suddenly create a marriage just because you had sex. Likewise, if you did commit adultery and you had sex with the other person, that does not instantly dissolve the marriage covenant. Since marriage is not you know, started by nor ended by sex, that is not the main purpose of marriage. And likewise, although God does, you know, he is pleased by uh, raising godly offspring, that is not the only purpose. Uh, there's more to it. If mating and making babies does not equal marriage, what does, right? I'm going to look uh, at a couple of verses. Altogether, I have three. But I'm going to start at the beginning, and that is Genesis 2. In verse 18, the verse says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God made Eve not only as Adam's helper, Again, being a helper to your spouse is a portion of marriage. It's a, an aspect of it, but it's not the whole thing. God made Eve for companionship. Eve was supposed to be Adam's companion, and Adam was supposed to be Eve's companion. The reason that God instituted marriage was to meet the need for intimate companionship. Marriage is designed to defeat loneliness. Now, the essence of marriage is a covenant of companionship, and both parts of that are important. The covenant part and the companionship part. <laughs> this, uh, this same emphasis on companionship 
is stressed elsewhere. So let's look at a couple other verses. In Proverbs 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. The Hebrew word for companion here is a, a loop, and it's from the root word a loop. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Hebrew word. This word means a friend, an intimate, somebody who's familiar and who's gentle from the knowing. That is to say, you've known them quite a while, and because of knowing you, they're gentle toward you. But the thing that's really cool about Hebrew, and Greek also actually has this, is that a lot of times a word, one word, will have a whole connotation. That you have to know the connotation of the word in order to get the whole entire concept. So this Hebrew word actually has a concept um, that has to do with wild animals. The concept is a, a wild animal who has been turned. So what you envision is an animal that was wild, that has been tamed, and consequently is now familiar and gentle. So the concept, here they, they say the word companion, who forsakes the, the companion of her youth. But what it means is somebody who was wild, who had wild attitudes and actions in their youth, but who is now tamed, who is warm and willing to be close. So, wow. Do you get the, the image there that God is creating in one word in that verse? An adulteress is somebody who forsakes the, the companion of her youth. And the companion of her youth is the guy who used to be kind of a wild and crazy kid, but who is now familiar and gentle because he knows her. Isn't that something? Okay, the next verse we're going to look at is Malachi 2. It's actually a couple of verses. It's verses 13 to 16. And I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite group of verses because people misquote this all the time, and we're going to go into it a little bit. But let's read it first. It's Malachi 2, 13 to 16. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer re regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make you one with a portion of the Spirit in your union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord God of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. That is a, a big chunk of verses there, but it's all on the same topic, which is all of a sudden God is not blessing you. And you're like, why? Why isn't God blessing me? And it's because you've abandoned the companion of your youth. It's, it's a different word, Hebrew word here. This Hebrew word is haberpka. Uh, and it comes from habereth, that's the root word, okay? This Hebrew word uh, for companion, that is a translated companion, this means your fellows, your associates who are of like character. These are the people in your society who are of like rank and like calling. So like in modern terms, 
these would be your buddies. The guys you grew up with and went to school with. The girl across the street. These are the people who are close to you. Okay? So what there's what the verse is saying is that the the Lord was a witness between you and your wife when you when she became your close buddy, the guy you went to school with, the girl across the streets, your associate of like character. That is to say, she's of like rank and calling with you. She is the one you grew up with and have hung with your whole life. She's close. And the Lord was a witness to that. And you abandoned her. It says you've been faithless to her. And then this is the one that everybody everybody misquotes. It says, I hate divorce, says the Lord. But they never finish it. They never finish it. The verse goes on to say that the person who divorces, it says, covers his garments with violence. Well, that means he's doing violence to the very people he's supposed to protect. He's harming the people he would normally cover with his garment of protection. So this is why God is upset with them, because they've been faithless and they've abandoned their covenant of companionship. So in both of these verses, they're talking about what adultery is, what faithlessness is. And both verses indicate that abandoning the covenant of companionship is infidelity. Together, the two Hebrew words speak of a relationship in which there is both of those constituents. There's the covenant part, and that means the promise, right? And there's the companionship part, and that is the intimacy. The two passages make it clear that when you enter into marriage, that should mean the desire to meet your spouse's need for companionship. So, love in marriage focuses on giving your spouse the companionship they need to eliminate loneliness. In practical terms, what that means is that you find out what makes your spouse feel lonely and you give them what they need so they don't feel lonely. Now, I mean to tell you, almost every single case of uh, infidelity and and uh, every single affair, we'll talk, we talk to people and the first thing they say is, well, I really, I wanted my spouse, but I, I felt lonely. Their spouse stopped giving them the covenant of companionship. Intimacy, apart from commitment, is not adequate. Commitment, apart from intimacy, is also just as deficient. You have to have both elements. Both elements are necessary. We're not saying that raising godly offspring is wrong. In fact, it's, it's just not the only purpose of marriage. Okay, It's part of the purpose. It is an aspect of the marriage, just like the mating is actually an aspect of marriage. The intimacy of biblical companionship expends beyond just physical, that is to say sex, to every aspect of human nature. So this kind of leads to the last little phrase that I want to discuss that is really commonly misunderstood as it relates to marriage anyways, and that is one flesh. Now you find this phrase, one flesh, in many verses like Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19.6, Mark 10.8, where they're asking about, you know, uh, asking the Lord, can we divorce, basically, right? Almost everyone thinks that the, the phrase, one flesh, refers to sex. But the words here, 
that are used are closer to like what we would say in English when we say everybody. Do, now, when we say that word, everybody, do we mean each physical body? Body? <laughs> no. <laughs> we mean everyone or each person. And it's the same here. These The Hebrew and Greek words that are used for one flesh are similar. It, it has to do more with the person. So a marriage union is meant to be the closest, most intimate of all human relationships. The two people literally maybe start to begin to like think and feel and act as one. They function as one unit. So when God speaks of one flesh, he's talking about union. Now, there's different kinds of union. There's one body. That would be a sexual union. It's a close physical union, but it doesn't necessarily mean marriage. It's just you can have sex with a prostitute, for example. That's sex. That's one body. Next, there's one flesh. That's what we're talking about here. That's the marriage union. It's an even closer union of companionship. And then there's one spirit. That would be the union with Christ, the closest union of all. And ideally, if you have a man who is a Christian, a woman who is a Christian, they are united as one flesh and one spirit because they are united with Christ as his bride. So God has revealed that the goal is for a husband and a wife to become one in all areas of their relationship, intellectually, emotionally, physically. The covenant of companionship fills this need. People who enter into marriage with the idea that marriage is pretty much legalized sex, they also have a grossly unbiblical idea of the next important concept we're going to discuss about marriage, and that's and what we'll be discussing next week, which is the obligation of marriage. So, hope you'll come back next week and find out a little bit more about the obligation of marriage. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast today, you can make a comment on our YouTube channel, or likewise, you can always come to our uh, site and make a comment there on the blog. Finally, if you have a question, you can always contact us at affaircare at gmail.com. That comes to both of us. So you would be having both a male and a female perspective, a disloyal spouse and a loyal spouse perspective. We would be happy to answer your questions, just talk with you via email, and you can always also set up an appointment with us. So look forward to talking to you next week, and thanks so much for turning in. Bye-bye. <laughs>